Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David, as always. Great show this week. I've been looking forward to this one. Autumn Brands, Hannah of Autumn Brands, which is a Santa Barbara Carpinteria-based cultivation, uh, doing it a little different. We went up to their beautiful greenhouses. She walked us around and told us what is one of my favorite stories that's been on the show in some time. Her family goes back seven generations of farmers all the way back to the Netherlands. Her dad and her granddad started the uh, fresh cut flower industry uh, in the Santa Barbara Carpinteria area. That dried up and they said, hey, what do we do now? Let's grow cannabis. Uh, it's a great, authentic American ag story uh, and you're going to love it, guys. Before we jump into the episode, I want to talk a little bit more about raising money, as we do on this show, but uh, a little different in this conversation, because if you are currently raising an equity round in the cannabis industry, in my opinion, you're doing it wrong. Uh, valuations are half what they were a year ago, uh, and we finally have debt in this industry, uh, which every industry has. Um, and I'm happy to announce, as I've been talking about for the last few weeks, that we've made this partnership with Bespoke Financial. And if you are in this cannabis cash crunch right now, if MedMen won't pay you, if other dispensaries, whoever won't pay you, uh, and you issue an accounts receivable invoice, Bespoke will lend directly against that. So that can be very, very helpful in this sort of short-term cash crunch that we're in currently. Uh, if you want to talk debt, you should want to talk debt if you're raising money right now. Give them a call. Tell them Brandon sent you. Tell them IC sent you. Uh, and thanks for supporting independent media, guys. Really appreciate that. All right, let's get into the episode with Hannah of Autumn Brands. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Hannah, thank you so much for having us at your beautiful, beautiful grow right here. We got the purple punch right behind us, one of my favorite strains ever. Uh, but let's just start with, tell us what Autumn Brands is. Yeah, Autumn Brands is a cultivation farm for cannabis. So we have our branded line out in the whole state of California. Mm -hmm. We do the flower glass jars, the pre-roll seven pack, the one gram, and a little bit of vapes. But we're really just farmers. Um, I got an ag degree, so did my brother. Um, we've grown up in these greenhouses. It used to be a little different flower when you looked at, not when you smoked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all we kind of ever really thought of we were going to do was agriculture. So you're sixth or seventh generation farmers? I'm sixth generation. You're sixth generation. Yeah. That's crazy, especially for California. I mean, most generations don't go, most families don't go back that many generations in California, right? They're from somewhere else or whatever. How did you get started? You were in the fresh cut flower industry, right? The family before, before canvas. Like, how did that start? Tell us that story a little bit. 
Yeah. So I'm actually first generation American. My uh-huh. generations of farming came from Holland. Okay. My dad moved here with my grandparents and my uncle when he was 18. Uh-huh. They actually moved two hours up in Napomo, and a couple of years after they moved here, they came down to Carpinteria and bought these greenhouses and started a flower company, all three of them together. Yeah, okay. Um, and I'm sure yeah. it wasn't cheap then, but today, yeah. I mean, this amount of square footage, we're not far from the ocean. No, you can see the ocean You can right see outside. the ocean, <laughs> yeah. which is the most <laughs> magical place to work every day, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Like, um, So... Started with the fresh cut flowers here. How many? How big was it compared to what it is today? It used to be way bigger. We had another farm up in Watsonville. Okay. Um, so my dad was doing a ton of acreage of cut flowers. He was probably one of the biggest producers for a time for the nation. Mm-hmm. And then 2008 happened and some other stuff happened in his business. And he actually had to file bankruptcy. Mm. And we, the only thing that we kept was this farm. Oh, okay. We lost our house up in the hills. We lost a vacation home. We sold the Watsonville farm. So we downsized a lot. Because no one was buying flowers anymore or it gravitated towards the equator? That's what happened to fresh yeah. flowers, right? So yeah. uh, there are some trade laws put in, and it was really easy for South America to enter into the flower industry. Got it. And. You know, we have very strict labor laws in California, yeah. and minimum wage was going up. So it was getting extremely hard to compete, and eventually just accounts started to um, go down. And also, we had some bad bulbs come in, so you have the losses from not being able to produce certain flowers. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of a big transition period that lasted a handful of years. And eventually he, you know... My dad's always been very hardworking. He downsized to these greenhouses and figured out a way to be profitable again, even though he had a huge debt. <laughs> we got to grow something more profitable. Yeah, and that's when the cannabis talk started. In- and how did that come up? I mean, it's like we've been doing this for years and years. We got to do something different. Who had the first cannabis idea? Was it him or? Um, yeah. So my dad didn't tell us when he <laughs> first started having these conversations. Because <laughs> you were how old at this point? Uh, I was um, 18. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we started the conversation or he did. And then one day he brought it to us and he's like, hey, we can grow medical marijuana. It's totally legal. But well, we're not going to tell people we're going to do it. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh-huh. And I had been accepted to Cal Poly to get an ag degree. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, Did you like weed at the time? Did the family like cannabis at the time? or? Uh, we didn't. My dad's never smoked in his life. Ever? Ever. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm the one that smokes the most right now. I really started to smoke a lot more in college when we started growing. Um, not necessarily even what we were producing, but just when people were smoking, I was definitely taking part and trying to learn as much as yeah. I could. Because in high school, I smoked a tiny bit, but more or less stayed away from it. In high school, yeah. 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 We are in Got high it. school. In so. college. I mean, you're in college, first yeah. of all. And then you're like, oh, my family's doing this thing. Did yeah. you keep it a secret? Were you able to keep it a secret? Or you were yeah. too excited about it? I mean... There'd be times where maybe now people look back and we're wondering why I was asking those certain questions in class. <laughs> but it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a secret probably until the end of my junior year. Uh-huh. Um, 
but it was also after it became recreationally legal right, is right, when right. more people in class were talking about it, and then I was talking about it a lot, and then I started sharing that. You're it's like, like oh, this is what so we're doing. <laughs> but it's hard because in college, once you tell someone that you are going to be a cannabis farmer, that's all they want to talk to you yeah, about. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, yeah. But So I definitely liked keeping it a secret for a while. <laughs> so flash forward, and... The scale has increased quite a bit. We are, we're in one of how many greenhouses are here on this property? Three? Uh, we grow in three. So we have two flowering and one nursery. But they are enormous. <laughs> I mean, just to say, I know there are bigger grows in California. We've been in some big grows, but it is quite impressive. And I want to live in here. <laughs> like, it's a nice climate in here. <laughs> you're going to find me tomorrow morning, like, <laughs> hiding in the corner. Under your um, purple punch. Under the purple punch. <laughs> under the purple punch. Um, so everybody and their mother is trying to grow cannabis in California, right? And there's been sharky New York private equity guys that have come in and tried to do it. How do you set yourself apart? Like, describe Autumn and why why it's different, why it's important. Yeah, so one thing that we focused on since the beginning was figuring out how to make the best quality product we can for a price that people can afford. Mm. So you see we're sitting here, and the pots are in these rusty um, metal holders. Yeah. And it's just a small pot with hydroponic irrigation that's timed automatically uh that's the same exact system that the flowers grew in uh-huh we didn't change anything except for the nutrient levels uh-huh um so our infrastructure was extremely cost efficient right <laughs> um, you already had it established you already had it, yeah. yeah yeah and we already knew how to grow in these greenhouses you right. had to add black cloth so that you can um get rid of the light when your hours are more than 12 yeah but besides that you could basically just do small upgrades and keep your same infrastructure. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And as a result, we talked a little bit about labor and sort of like how you guys do it the old school way, right? You still have people that walk up and down these. Like you're not using AR, like computer vision in here or anything crazy. Like what do you, what do you think the result of that is? Sort of doing it old school ag like that. I mean, you get that hand-on QC through the whole process. There's people picking up and looking at the plants before they move them in the greenhouse, taking out the ones that don't look the exact same size or might have some sort of issue, and they're setting them aside, and we're um, killing them in the metric system and disposing of them. Right. And so that way, once you're in here, everything is uniform, like how you want it. And then also in our processing, we do everything by hand. So we de-leaf before we harvest, we hang dry, um, we hand buck, we hand trim, and we hand pack. Mm-hmm. So it's like you get all of those levels of physical QC. It really, you're able to pick out that bud that might not be the best. And yep. you don't want to end up in a jar. And how does that balance with the cost efficiency here, right? Because you said like you try to do stuff so that people can afford it, mm-hmm. which is really relevant in California right yeah. now, right? There's crazy expensive wheat. But how does that balance? Having all that hands-on approach and all that labor is expensive, right? Yeah, labor is definitely our biggest expense. But because we're doing plant lot sizes of a few hundred per batch per harvest, you're not making them change all the time and do all these small things. You kind of have them going on longer periods of the same strain. So that brings down the time where they're not working effectively. 
Um, we've also taken off all the hand watering in the nursery. It's all done um, hydroponically uh, with the same system, but it's in the table. Okay. Uh, they wheel the plants out now down the bay and then pull them out by hand. So mm-hmm. there's little things now that we have a bit of a budget that we've been improving to reduce labor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also... And you must be yeah. inundated with software providers and all these new startups that tell you, hey, we know how to grow weed. You just got to <laughs> use this. It's great. Like, What do you say to them? How, how do you deal with that? Uh, I mean, I have one that wanted to give me a light and humidity reader, uh-huh. but we have our previous system that we've had in these greenhouses for years yeah. that already does that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to me, I'm like, I'm already doing it. <laughs> I don't need the fanciest tech. Uh, I mean, we have really good dehumidifiers in yeah. the dry room yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but you, <laughs> but you are metric compliant, obviously. Cause, uh, and is there a track and trace system you're using here? Software system? Like that's different from traditional mm-hmm. ag, right? How did you kind yeah. of guys incorporate that? So when we went on metric just almost a year ago now, yeah. uh, we were the first multi-licensed farm, uh, to get our licensing and to go on metric. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we're hitting our one year mark. But we had multiple softwares that we tried, but they had so many glitches in the implementation period that things weren't carrying over correctly, or Mm -hmm. it pulled a batch, but not the second batch. And there are so many more issues that we've worked directly into the state-mandated track and trace system, which is the California metric. Um, And then I use Google Sheets for everything else. Got it. (laughs) My team has computers different places in the farm, so we just all work on the same Google Sheet. Um, And do you think this is because the softwares out there aren't that good yet or because you're just resistant to using them? I'm sure there are good softwares out there, but every time I've talked to someone, they're not so cheap. (laughs) Yeah, they're not that cheap. Yeah. And my Google Sheets are so simple and it's so easy for some of my teammates to use that aren't the most computer savvy that... It's just been really nice. And I can make my own graphs and data sheets from it as well. Totally. So I sold software for like (laughs) almost four years. And our biggest competitor was always Google Sheets or Google something. It's free. Yeah. How can you argue with that? You know? (laughs) And it's simple. (laughs) It's simple. It's easy to use. Yeah, exactly. So you brought up budget. Uh, I know you guys are very, very lean. You told me there's like 75 people that work here, but probably 60 of them are laborers or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? So... With the onslaught of softwares and all the outsiders have also come a lot of potential funding sources. I'm sure you've been approached Mm -hmm. a number of times in that way, too. Um, Tell me about that story. Obviously, Canada came calling at some point. New York has come calling, I'm sure. Like, how do those conversations go? Why why haven't you bought into that? Yeah, I mean, we've been approached multiple times even from when we were early on in the very beginning we're like we have so much growth to do that we kind of turned down some stuff um there have been options of becoming part of a bigger package where you have farmers and retailers and uh distributors yeah Um, or something like that yeah and then there's also just the opportunity of people coming in and saying hey you need cash flow um i can be an investor and we can get your cash flow Mm -hmm. And we're like, we have positive cash flow. Right, right, right. Which is uh, incredible. <laughs> Even minus 280E and all the bullshit, all the taxes that are going on here, your cash flow positive. Yeah. And, so. and how, do you, how do you explain that? Is that the infrastructure you already had established here? Are you guys more efficient than other people? How are you making money? 
we're Dutch, so we're, we like to hold on to our dollars. Okay. <laughs> We've always focused on two things. One is you can only spend a dollar once. And so that was always really important in figuring out how we're going to spend our money, what things we're going to do in this year um, to grow our company, but also not waste our dollar. Um, and then the second thing is this might not last forever. I might not be growing weed forever. Mm -hmm. So be frugal now when we're fighting over $100 bills yeah. and not in a few years when we're fighting over $1 bills yeah. or back to pennies like the flower industry. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about the future here. Obviously, you've gotten to a decent size scale, but in terms of traditional ag, it's still pretty small, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want to get there? There's a lot of talk about craft, small batch cannabis in California right now. Do you consider yourself that? How big do you want this to be? I think it depends where you are in California. If you consider us small or large, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're in carp, um, or, you know, the desert where they're making these massive grows, then, yeah, we are small in craft, mm -hmm. um, and we do focus on quality. But if people in Humboldt, they call us massive yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. commercial farming, but I still think that we're small batch craft because we do everything by hand. We're well, the product yeah. <laughs> certainly comes out that way. Yeah, I've been lucky you. enough to smoke a lot of your stuff. <laughs> and um, actually, you guys were incredibly smart, I have to say. You sent one of your brand ambassadors, Jen, to my apartment on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and said, hey, I have some weed for you. And, like, who's going to say no to that, you know? <laughs> and we became friends, and now we're here. So I guess, like, you guys are smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jen was an amazing hire, the yeah. perfect person for she Santa Monica is. area. Yeah, <laughs> for yeah. Santa Monica area. Yeah, you got it right. How many of those are there? How many brand ambassadors are there? Right now there's three. I'm working on hiring some up north. Okay. Um, but they're all here and down in L.A. right now. Got it. And how about... One of the trickiest parts in this business is distribution, and it seems like the best distribution often uh, changes like every month, <laughs> right? What are you guys using, and how many stores are you in? How much growth is there? Tell me the distribution story a little yeah. bit. Yeah, so when we started, when the whole rec market opened up, it was kind of like you're being approached by all these different distro companies mm -hmm. um, to mm -hmm. sell your brand. And we we're one of the first compliant, child-proof products out there mm -hmm. um, when it opened up in 2018. So when we started, we mapped out and we had three different distributors and they each had their sections. Um, but that got a little messy because sometimes they would cross over their lines and try to undercut people. Um, but we're like, hey, you can't drop the pricing. That's not what this is about. Yep, yep. Um, and then so what happened was, one, we um, parted ways with. They just weren't working out. One went bankrupt. Um, and then the third one we still work with, and they run the entire state. Mm -hmm. So that's Yerba Buena Logistics. Yep. And we're their um, only greenhouse flower line. Cool. And so they do a lot of vapes and edibles and the manzanita drinks. Mm -hmm. So they have a lot mm -hmm. of great products, mm -hmm. but we're their flower line. So we feel really... Like we have a strong connection, and it's with them. only branded as Autumn, or you do white label stuff for them too, like other brands. Only, only Autumn. Brands. We don't white label anything. But you've considered that, obviously. We sell bulk, and other people can label it under their brand. You sell bulk, though. Yeah. Okay, yes. got it. And what's the sort of revenue distribution between bulk and and the brand? Right now, it's about fifty fifty. Got it. That's what I would have thought. Yeah. yeah. Got it. And I'm always a little torn by this bulk white label discussion because you've created this secret sauce here, <laughs> right? Like, it's amazing. The vibe is amazing in here, and the product speaks for itself. 
why do you want to give that to someone else? Because they're paying me money. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I mean, not everything we produce here can sell in our brand. We'd have a backlog of a lot of products. Right. Um, we're in about 160 dispensaries and 15 delivery services uh-huh. um, out of the like 650 that there are yeah, right now. Yeah. Um, and they're growing every day. Yeah. Um, but we're not in nearly enough shops yet or moving enough product to fully be under our own brand. If our growth trajectory stays the same as it is right now, then probably by the end of the year, yeah, we'll take 90% of really? our. Yeah. It's that, it's it's that pretty, steep of a really increase. steep right now. Amazing. Yeah. And what do you think is resonating about the brand? Because when you go in to a dispensary or delivery, mm-hmm. I mean, look, you can read all the descriptions, you can look at it, but packaging and logo and all these things, like they mean more than they should mm-hmm. right now, I think. Yeah. How have you tackled that problem? How are you getting people to to be loyal to the brand like that? Yeah, so from the branding standpoint, we went orange because we're Dutch. (laughs) And then a year ago, um, our marketing team said, hey, we think we should change the logo because no one's calling you AB. Our old name, it was always Autumn Brands, but our logo was AB. Got it. Um, And so we switched it to Autumn Brands, like the hat, where it's fully the name. And kept that bright orange. And we still hear that when people walk into dispensaries and they see the sea of black labels and dark greens, they see our bright orange and they immediately kind of Got get fond of it. Yeah. Sherpinski's also rocking that orange. Yeah, yeah. Close enough. But, yeah. <laughs> and candescent. <laughs> and candescent, yeah, and candescent. But it does but stick out. It does pop. We're also yeah. at more of an affordable price. And you're all <laughs> matching, too. I didn't even, I'm just realizing this. You got your, your autumn brands. So we should also say that your last name is Brand. Yes. Which adds like another level of authenticity here. Yeah. And Autumn is your mom, correct? No. Or your grandma? <laughs> so. How, how does this work? <laughs> I heard you say this on a previous podcast. Oh, I, I fucked it up. To. Okay, good. You called me Autumn once. Sorry. <laughs> correct okay. me. Um, so Autumn Shelton was the CFO for my dad's flower company. Uh-huh. And she, he brought her in to become a um, partner in Autumn Brands. Got it. So her name is Autumn Shelton and it's me, my brother, and my dad as the three brands. Got to it. Make the other partners ah i see okay yeah, so the four that makes us. sense yeah. but your last name is brand yes which does add this level of authenticity which yeah. is where i was going like brands are all about this authenticity and origin story and like that's what millennials want to identify with right like they care where it came from they care like oh we're donating one percent to mm-hmm. uganda whatever you know <laughs> um how are you getting that story out i mean like you guys need to make a documentary or like a <laughs> movie or something because because like the way I see it is you are the cannabis industry. Like there's all this private equity and nonsense going on in the world, you know, and indoor LA shit. But like, this is, this is a cannabis industry, you know, like you're, you're very humble clearly, but that's, that's the point. Like, how are you getting that message to people? Because I think it's going to resonate a lot. (laughs) Thank you. Well, one thing is doing podcasts like this, for sure. (laughs) Um, getting in touch with different people from media and sharing our story that way. Yeah. And inviting people to the farm to really see what it's about. Yeah. Um, as I said, we're self-funded. We don't have big bucks to go yeah. make 50 grand movies. <laughs> but you're making money. But we're making money. Which is outrageous. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, no, you shouldn't pay for a movie like that. But there is a way to finance that kind of movie and get it made. Like, why? this could be on Netflix. Yeah. This we'll is see, a cool-ass thing. We'll see why uh, CNN Go There posts tomorrow. 
Got it. <laughs> Got it. Are you, why, you're going to be on CNN tomorrow? On their Facebook page. I don't know if they're putting it on the actual TV show. They came here and filmed and stuff? Last week. Rad. Yeah. That must have been fun. <laughs> yeah, it was about me, my brother, and my dad, and yeah. family farming. Well, it was a good warm-up for us, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so to take a slightly darker lens on what's been a wonderful conversation... Uh, the weed industry is in the shitter right now. It's really a tough time to be in the weed industry. People are getting laid off. They increased the taxes in 2020, which is insane. Who, who thought that was a good idea? But when you look at what's happening in the industry as a whole, what does it, how does it make you feel? I mean, like, did you predict this? You're somebody that thinks about the future of cannabis every day, right? I mean, we're sort of what I call in this fight for the soul of cannabis, right? There's like the suits with all the money. There's like the OG weed people. How do you view what's happening? Like make, make a prediction, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, almost half a year ago or a little over half a year ago, Autumn was invited to sit on this breakfast board for um, this community that meets once a quarter uh-huh. and their investors um, from different parts of the industries and so they invited all people from cannabis brands to come and speak and autumn was on that board so i went and got to go watch and the hedge fund hunter from candescence was up there too Uh uh (laughs) and he had a statement saying yeah we're going into our third round of funding and i thought we had another couple years before people started asking me about the actual numbers yeah and so he was I don't think he was nervous at that point, but I could already tell, like, they thought they had a lot longer of a time where people were going to live on the hype of the name yep. cannabis and yep. not on the numbers of production. Not on actually being a business. Yeah. Yeah, So I think sure. that's why a lot of these people that got a lot of funding and can't turn a profit yet thought they had a few more years before they're going to be responsible to turn a profit. Plus, there's this whole narrative about land grab and mm-hmm. this window of cannabis and which i don't really buy into i think no. like if you do it well there's a place for you yeah in this industry right the other thing is you're investing a lot of money into a company that's agriculture and anyone can grow weed as well as anyone else almost you mm. know i mean not really but mm. you're not creating a piece of technology that you can patent and keep for yourself right. and expand on right like the Teslas and the Apples, right. you're creating a flower. And if you grow it the best ever, and you can't necessarily mark it up way above other people. It's a commodity. You know? Yeah. You go to the market like everybody else, unless you have some brand yeah. that people are attracted to. Exactly. Lot, right? And then it comes down to how you're branding. Are you branding as a luxury or as an everyday or as a health and wellness mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff? So I love having these sort of, marketing scientific discussions about like who's the audience and who's next and everything but you really can't have that discussion without talking about the black market illicit market duty free i call it sometimes (laughs) um what do we do i mean it's crazy you know you guys are trying to grow reasonably priced cannabis it's fantastic but if you got a dude that you've been using for 10 or 15 years it's really cheap and it's hard to say no to that, right? Um, what do we do about the black market? How do we, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, ultimately it comes down to getting funding because they are trying to make an enforcement team, but yeah. all that government enforcement teams take a lot, a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing is keeping people informed. I think most of the black market 
is happening in people's dispensaries that they don't know aren't licensed. Uh-huh. And there's product going in there under packaging that seems legit and it's $10, $20 cheaper. Yep. But it wasn't tested. It's probably full of pesticides because it's a lot easier to grow when you overspray. Yep. And um, plant uh, growth hormones that aren't legal yep. and all that stuff. So you can really harm your body. I mean, it's but not they, tested. Yeah. yeah. We should start there. It's not, it's not tested, tested at all. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, you just, it's hard. It's a hard discussion. And so much of the black market, too, is just being shipped over state because you can even get more money if it's in a place that can't grow as much mm-hmm. black market. And I actually think this is the reason that the data is all skewed, that vapes are doing really well and edibles are doing really well. The reason is you can only get those mostly in legal places, right? They're manufactured, they're tested, they're marketed. But flowers is the easiest thing to get in an illicit market. And I think that's why we're not seeing that growth the same in, in the market because you can get flowers a lot of places, yeah. right? That's a weird sort of dichotomy because in a lot of ways, like getting the illicit flowers is even more dangerous <laughs> in some ways, right? Than the other products. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I don't know. The yeah. vape and edibles would be more concentrated if they weren't clean. But Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know we don't have an answer for this black market question, but I don't hear people talk about it enough. Yeah. In the legal industry, it's like we want to ignore it. And why do you think that is? Why do you think there's this such this hesitance to both push that part away and say we're condemning that, but also just like kind of ignore it? I mean, what can I really do to push it away or condemn it? I don't know anyone that's growing black market. I can't walk up to the house and go, hey, you need to stop growing weed because <laughs> I don't know where they are, who's doing it. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's other legislation that can happen there's lobbying that can happen we can further enforce these illegal shops and all these things you know definitely i'm not saying you personally right like i know you're here (laughs) doing god's work growing this weed but um I'm saying collectively, what should we do anyway? There's no, yeah. there's no I, easy solution here. I mean, the more tax money that's brought in, the more money they have for enforcement. A lot of the money in Santa Barbara County that they've collected so far is going to enforcement. Yeah. Not only on the um, helping get through this permitting process, but also they've raided about 60 grows in Santa Barbara County and mm-hmm. I think shut down 53 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So they have been slowly doing things, but... An interesting thing was my dad was on a water board meeting in Sacramento a few months back. And they asked the question. He was the only farmer on there. He said he had no idea why he was there, (laughs) except for they wanted a real farmer there. (laughs) Um, Optics. Yeah, but one of the head of the um, water committee was asked, how many illegal grows do you think there are in California? And he said, well, when we started this process of getting water applications for cannabis, we had about 50,000 come in. There's like 1,500 active right now. Okay. <laughs> so how many wow. people have realized that they're not going to get through the licensing and, just and kept pulled going. back? And I doubt they stopped growing. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> and, wow. And they can't touch Native American 50, land. 50,000. Yeah. And that's just Santa Barbara. No, this was oh. the state. Oh, that was the state. state. Yeah. The whole okay. state. So. I wonder. Anyway, that's a hard, that's a hard data yeah. to... To rectify you brought up pesticides and stuff um it's sort of a part of a lot of cannabis i remember a couple of years ago there were reports that like 80 percent of tested cannabis had some 
pesticide or some mite or something on it. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the cleanliness of this place, because I know you go to great lengths. It's that it's back to that sort of organic, authentic ag. Like, talk about when you do have that arise or when you do have these problems. What what do you do about it? Yeah. So about two and a half years ago, um, my dad was walking around with a pesticide um, guy, and they're just talking about you know okay yeah it is organic and it is legal but it's probably best to not actually use it because it's going on a product you're heating up mm-hmm. <laughs> and like you know you can drink this stuff and it won't hurt you but right. this you're heating up and so my dad was kind of like okay well let's just see if we can grow without any spray and it is not cheap <laughs> and it is not good for yield sometimes yeah but it is extremely clean when we have our oil it comes up no detect for everything uh-huh. Um, you can't find anything cleaner. And, and what's the other expensive part about it? More labor or why, why is it? You have to buy in a lot of beneficial insects. Okay. And you can u- lose a lot of yield. So sometimes we get a little bit of powdery mildew. Easily fixable with a sulfur burner or a sulfur spray. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to do that. So you get a little bit of damage to the leaves. and may grow a tiny bit smaller or produce a little bit less um, buds. But to us, it's better. It's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Because you're here for the long haul, right? You're, yeah. you're not trying to sell to some company. And this has been in your family for some time. And the heritage before that. Mm-hmm. Do you go to the Netherlands? Do you go back? I do. I go every couple of years. Yeah. My dad's best friend is there. And he has five kids. And his oldest kid's one of my best friends. Oh, cool. <laughs> she lived here for a year and in the same house as me for six months. Yeah. Um, and then when I was living in Barcelona, we saw each other a bunch. How long did you live in Barcelona? Six months. Yeah, Eric and I both studied abroad in Barcelona. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What year would that have been? 2008? Okay, I was there in 2016. <laughs> Actually, we were in Barcelona at this little underground party when Obama got elected. Oh, wow. And they had a whole, like, American party, and we, like, smoked weed and other things. And, I was uh, there when Trump got elected. <laughs> wow. Wild. What was the tone like when Trump got elected? Uh, everyone was pretty quiet. Yeah, I could see that. Huh. Uh, yeah. huh. Wild. It was kind of crazy to get that perspective, though. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. I love to hear about the founder behind the business. At the end of the day, oh, first of all, are you a daily cannabis you said your your dad doesn't ever consume any cannabis he never how about you what's what's your uh not fully every day but most of the time before bed before um, bed vape or gummies and then socially on the weekends i like joints are probably my favorite (laughs) and do you have a strain what's your favorite autumn strain i guess I really like our Dreamwalker, the Sativa, uh-huh. um, but sometimes it's a little too strong for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so then the Chem Dog is really nice too, a little more gassy. You like Sativas? Yeah, Chem Dog's a hybrid, but okay, I do yeah. like Sativas. But Chem Dog's on the Sativa side of hybrid, though, right or no? I thought it was right in the middle, but okay. I don't know. Everyone sometimes. I don't know. Well, if you don't know, I certainly <laughs> don't know. <laughs> uh, well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for joining us. How can our audience help you aside from go to the dispensary and buy some weed? Yeah, following us on Instagram is always a big help at Autumn Brands. Uh-huh. Um, and then just going in and asking for us if we're not in your favorite dispensary. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's sometimes hard to get these buyers to pick up a new brand, but. We promise our quality and consistency will will always be there for you. (laughs) And are you hiring for something or anything like that? 
anything else we can uh, I don't think currently we're hiring we might look into getting one more compliance metric uh-huh. um, person in the building so send your resume in if you know anything about metric <laughs> got it um, so last question you know what Jesus and Miro is the late night show on Showtime anyway it's yeah. like this stupid late night show but they do this thing that I love which I've totally stolen <laughs> which is um, you know there's like in a bodega or like a convenience store there's these all night neon signs mm-hmm. right so if you had to have a neon sign above your head for the rest of your life follow you around <laughs> what would your neon sign say <laughs> that's such a weird question that's why I asked it. I know it's good <laughs> what would my neon sign say I can uh, give you a couple others that people have said recently. Probably free hugs. Free hugs. <laughs> Amazing. It always makes people smile. Amazing. That's as good a place to wrap up as any. Thank yeah. you so much, Hannah. It's Thank been really you. fun. Thank you for having us at your beautiful, beautiful grove. Thank you. We're glad to have you here. All right. See you next time. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. It's about. It's a little hot in here, though. It is hot. I'm sweating my balls off over there. And your face is in the sun, too.